McCarthy bring you Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snurd, and Charlie's special guest, Orson Welles. Wake up, America, and stomp the experts. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to our show of shows, a podcast about old-time radio. I'm Dan Howland, and I'm joined for the second time in a row by my pal Tom Higgins. Hi, Tom. Well, heavenly days. Hello, Dan. Hi. Every episode, we are going to choose an old-time radio series, and we will talk about its history, performers, importance, and legacy, and we'll try to figure out how it works. Take it apart like a cheap wristwatch. And our topic for this week is Fibber McGee and Molly, which was the long, long running show. I think that it ran for 27 years. And the last couple they might have done without. What's that? Oh, yes. Yeah. The they last might have, couple of years. They might have skipped the last couple of years. Yeah. But we'll, we'll touch on that later. I think the only American sitcom that comes close to having run as long as Fibber McGee. Actually, it surpassed it recently is The Simpsons. Yes. So I don't think there's a live action uh, equivalent. But I mean, these are obviously apples and oranges because Fibber McGee and Molly was on the radio with one bizarre uh, brief foray into television. But the best, uh, the best I can say about the Fibber McGee and Molly TV show, it's an alternative Mickey and Molly. Yes. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of uh, alternative universe in the Fibber McGee and Molly world, and I think that one was definitely one of them. It is. It does not resemble the radio uh, characters at all, as far as I could see. Readers of comic books will know this as retconning, and yes, yes the universe ends and gets remade, and yes. bits and pieces come back, but yes. Well, uh, well, let's talk first about the format of Fibber McGee and Molly and, and the structure of every show. It was essentially a, a sitcom story that was broken up into segments and there would be musical interludes performed between them. So there was always like an instrumental song at the beginning. Um, there was usually a vocal song. And once the show had settled into its formula for a while, that was a performing group called The King's Men would always do a vocal piece in there and uh, one other song towards the end. But the, the mainstay of the show was, I, I guess that comes from the variety shows and the vaudeville days was the notion that it wasn't really a show unless it had some musical interludes. And if you listen to like Jack Benny or most, a lot of other of these shows that came out of vaudeville, they mm -hmm. all have that same kind of, they have that structure. Number. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, Jack Benny's boy. Who is this? What was his name? He he had a singer. On uh, all Dennis the time. Day. Dennis O'Day. Yes, that yeah, was it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And even even some of the um, shows like the Goon Shows from England, there yes. were musical yeah. numbers. Similar in there. structure to it with the musical numbers in between. Um, it's uh, well. Let's talk a little bit about how the show started. It started. Way back, well, there's a little bit of prehistory to uh, Fibber McGee and Molly. Is uh, the two actors who performed Fibber and Molly were a married couple named Jim and Marion Jordan, and uh, in the 
early 1930s, from 1931 to 1933. Uh, and then for a, another couple years, they were picked up by a network from 33 to 35. They were on NBC. Uh, it started as a local show in Chicago. They did a show called Smack Out. And that was a really peculiar little show. Um, it was about a, I guess you'd call it a hardware store, I think it was, but I, maybe a general store is more appropriate. Yeah. And uh, people would come in and ask for something. And no matter what it was they asked for, um, Jim Jordan played the shopkeeper. He would always say that they were smack out of that. And he would have some elaborate story about why they were out. So it was a little bit like Monty Python's cheese shop sketch. On a big that, scale. On a, on a, yeah, on a series basis. And as I understand it, there aren't a, well, there aren't a lot of episodes to listen to now. Um, every character on it was played by Jim and Marion Jordan. So everybody who came into the store, it was either Jim alternating between being the shopkeeper and the person, or it was Marion playing somebody who came into the store and asked for something. But even so, back then, this was kind of their atomic structure there were people always coming to that yes yeah that was that was the 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 thing that recurs in fibber mcgee and molly later um and during that period from 31 to 35 they met and started working with a writer named don quinn and he became the head writer later of fibber mcgee and molly and he stayed with the show i guess for oh, i don't know maybe half of the run or a little less maybe like nine or 10 years before he left. He was well in the, yeah, he was well in the heyday, but he was not there at the end. He was not there at the end. He trained, pretty much trained his successor, a guy named Phil Leslie, who um, maybe not quite as good, but pretty good, wrote some pretty good scripts. And he was, he was the co-writer for a while with Don Quinn. Don Quinn apparently had a real problem making all the deadlines. And I think he may have had a bit of a drinking problem, but, that seems I, to be a recurring theme. That, well, that'll come up. That we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And wasn't it wasn't it the case also? I think you were telling me that the show that the, uh, the husband and wife they actually um, Jim actually commented on another radio show, and that's how he found himself. Oh yes, doing his that's own radio right. Show. I'll tell you what it was. Um, they were at home. They had been in vaudeville as singers together. And then they they couldn't really make a go of that. They were definitely second stringers. They weren't, you know, top of the bill or anything. And so they retired and they moved back to Peoria, Illinois, where Jim became, um, I think it was Peoria. I had some purist out there will probably correct me. Always. But they, they moved back to just live in small town America and Jim got a job in the post office and they were, you know, more or less retired from show business at a fairly young age. So they were worked. from McGee and Molly at that point. They, more or less. Yeah. But what happened was um, they were sitting around listening to the radio with the in-laws and Molly's, uh, excuse me, Marion's brother uh, said, something about the show wasn't very good and jim said oh we could do much better than that and the brother-in-law challenged them to do it like oh you talk so big you're never going to do that and jim jordan said we're going to go do this on 
you know, first time we can. So they went down to the radio station and got a contract immediately. So that was the very prehistory is on some local station, possibly in Chicago. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. might have been just in Peoria. So very much they, they started doing live stuff and just improvised stuff. And they, yeah. they played a couple characters who were very rural called uh, Luke and Mirandi. I think they were originally. And I think they did some like farm report show or something wacky like that. But when you, know? you first told me the story, mm-hmm. it was oh, it, it reminded me of an episode of like the 1940s from the Guillemot. Yeah. If they were sitting around going, I'll listen to that. Dad, Dad, I, I can, can do better than that. Yeah, I can make knows. sugar out of nothing. And yes, right, exactly. And he, yeah, and I it, could, I could be a radio comic or whatever. Yeah. The only twist is, it like, actually, it actually, it actually works. Worked. Yes, right. So anyway, that show Smack Out uh, lasted until about 1935, and I guess it kind of died a natural death. It wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't going to go anywhere any further than what it did. But it made it to NBC. It made it national. <clears throat> and then um, they started figuring out what they wanted to do next. What was the next show? And uh, Marion said that she wanted to do an Irish character. And so they chose the name Molly McGee for that. And that was the genesis of it. And then um, Jim took the character Fibber McGee. Uh, elaborating on the idea again that he was a guy who told tall tales and the Johnson Wax Company um, offered to sponsor the show and was their sponsor for many years and the earliest version of the show started in 1935 and for 19 episodes it was a very different show from the later series Um, Yeah, Fibber. I would say abusive. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the first thing was they were traveling around the country in an old car, in just an old jalopy. They weren't settled. It wasn't a domestic comedy. They were going from, uh, oh, I can't remember whether, like campground type places. Um, a lot of scenes in gas stations. And this and, was, it, this was the pre-World War II road. Pre-World War II. This of would America. Be, well, yes, exactly. Yeah, the roads were pretty rough in those days. Yeah, but America was and, discovering this fact that they could go travel anywhere yes, in the country. Right, and so um, the characters were different as well. And the the two characters were Fibber was kind of a henpecked husband, and Molly was almost like a fishwife. She would yell at him more. Uh, she was, she was, she laughed at him more and he would just kind of cringe into himself, you know, like he'd start to tell a tall tale and she'd just slap him down. And so it was, they were, they were not as pleasant characters at, during those first few episodes. Those first 19 episodes were not, not at all the Fibber, Miggy and Molly that were, became like national, uh, nationally beloved characters. So we have a clip that we're going to play, and this is from the very first episode of the Johnson's Wax Pro- Johnson Wax program with Fibber McGee and Molly. And I think oh, I'm not sure about this, but I think from the sound of the voice that the cop that we're going to hear in this clip is William Frawley, and you probably know him from playing Fred Mertz on I Love Lucy. So let's play that clip. 
Silence in the court. Officer, what's the man charged with? Passing up a red light at the junction, Your Honor. Your, Your Honor, Honor, the light wasn't lit. Silence. That don't make any difference, Your Honor. That light ain't working right. But it's a red light, and he should have stopped it. That light ought to be fixed, Schwartz. <laughs> Schwartz, is it? <laughs> and me wasting me sweet Irish minds on a guy named Schwartz. <laughs> Quiet. Quiet, madam. What's your name, defendant? McGee. Hibber McGee, Your Honor. One of the old Nebraska McGee. One of the oldest and most respectable... All right, never mind. Huh? I realize that it's difficult to see that light at the junction. Nevertheless, we must impose caution on all motorists. And it is obvious that it is a red light, lit or not. Now, what have you to say, McGraw? McGee, it is. <laughs> and I got this here to say. I'm a law-abiding citizen, and that there red light wasn't lit. If it had to been lit, I'd have knew it was a red light. But a red light that ain't lit ain't a red light. On account of because the light that ain't lit ain't a light. And if it's got to be lit to be a red light and ain't lit, then it ain't a red light. If a red light is the kind of a light a red light ought to be, it'd be a lit light, not a dead light. A dead red light ain't no more a red light than a lit light is a dead light. And I claim that any time my headlight sees a dead light, red light or no red light, and I ride right by the light, I'm in my right. Come on, Molly. So that was the way the show sounded in the early days. And you can hear a little bit of what happened later. There was a lot of wordplay in that. Yeah, I was just going to say that whole red light, it, it was the right light. The whole, the, the fever red light, I got to make a rap out of that. That's a beautiful <laughs> piece. Yeah, it is. It's a nice piece, but it's still, you can hear that it's pretty rudimentary and kind of crude compared to the later. We'll, we'll play some clips later where yeah. you'll hear that they they were much slicker. Uh, they were much more confident in what they were doing. Uh, did you also and, notice the little dig that Molly gets on the police officer? Oh, the thing where... Um, if I'd known your name was Schwartz, I would Yes, have... used my Whoa. Irish wiles on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, a lot of uh, ethnic comedy yeah. in Fibber McGee and Molly. But yeah, Fibber, uh, Molly did that all throughout the series. Whenever there's an Irish cop, she can always get her way with the Irish cop. Yeah, so anyway, so that went on for about 20 episodes in that style. And then they started what I call the domestic years, which started in 1935 in August. There was an episode where they won their home in a raffle and they stopped off purely because the raffle, there was a sign that said the raffle would give away free sandwiches. And so they entered the raffle and they got a ticket number of uh, 1,031,313. Mm-hmm. So it's 13, 13, 13. And um, they won the house at 79 Wistful Vista, which is the in the town of Wistful Vista, and, or actually city, because it's not a small town show. It's definitely no, it becomes it's, a city. Yeah. It's over time, it becomes a big city. And it's along the lines, I suppose, of. Peoria, Illinois, uh, which, you know, was fairly large. And at that point, also, the show was retconned, as you were saying earlier. But so in order why, to... So why do, you think, why do you think they... Because this is a really dramatic change at this point. This is like almost, we're going to start a new series. Yeah. At, what do you think the, was... I think the change was there were... There was one big thing that I think happened, and I think it was the sponsor... I think the initial 
show that they pitched was you're trying to sell car wax. We'll do a show about cars. Ah. And then I think what happened was the Johnson's Wax Company came to them and said, you know, we've got all these other products for the home, like floor wax and household wax that we want to pitch. And so I think they said, okay, we'll move them into a house. And who do you think is listening to this more? Guys with the cars or the wives in the house? Yeah, exactly. I I think it... Excuse me for sounding datedly domestic here, but that's kind of how it was. Well, they, well, most of the ads are definitely pitched towards women in, yeah. the, in the series. Um, they still do ads for car wax throughout the rest of the series, the car new car wax. But I think that's the reason it changed. And the, the other change that happened was the characters became um, quite different. They... <clears throat> they lost a few years of age, I think, um, because yeah. they in the early first few episodes, they were clearly supposed to be an older couple. And then it became closer to the actors' ages. So we're talking and, Doctor Who regeneration. Yes, it's, it is it, almost on that level, right? <clears throat> Fibber's a lot more brash, and Molly's character softens. She's a lot more tolerant of his crazy ideas. She still objects to them, but she does it more more lovingly she's she actually likes him now yeah and it's not, she's not as it, mean spirited it comes more of as like oh that poor sap i married yes right this poor yeah. guy's she, trying so hard and he just can't yeah. he's the he's the dumb dad character although yeah. they never had any kids on the show <clears throat> and then that show in that format became really popular um and it led to them doing movies. They did. Uh, let me see. I've just got a list of like four movies that I'll put yeah, in did, the show notes. When I when you put up the list of movies, I had not realized they did this many movies going back as far as they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the very first one. I think they might have played the characters in someone else's movie. Yeah. There, there's a lot of weird stuff that went on with radio characters where there are actually there's actually at least one movie out there, and I can't remember the title of it where some of the secondary characters from Fibber McGee and Molly turn up as secondary characters in this movie, but Fibber and Molly are nowhere to be seen. There were a lot of crossover and studio asset movies, I guess is the best way to put it, Yeah. where it's like, hey, we have all these things, we have a set, let's mm-hmm. make a movie. So yeah, let's right. get you from this show and you from this show, and you're going to sit around. And, and you'll play the same thing. character you did on the radio. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, the Disney studios were notorious for that. They would hear somebody on the radio and they would say, that's a great voice. Let's use that. Oh, yeah. There, or, there are Disney. There were Disney cartoons I remember seeing as a kid with mm-hmm. a lot of radio characters. In yeah. And also, Fibber McGee and Molly was a huge influence on um, the Warner Brothers cartoons. Just a gigantic influence. Taint Funny McGee, that phrase that Molly says all the time comes up all the time in the Warner Brothers cartoons. Uh, that ain't the way I heard it, which is the catchphrase of uh, the old timer yep. from Fibber McGee and Molly. All those things I learned about first from seeing them on cartoons, and I didn't find out till years later that it came from a source. It wasn't just some oddball thing. Well, even the character of uh, Tiny, the teeny, yeah. which teeny. we'll get to yeah. later, we'll, she, we'll, we've she, got shows up, she shows up as... Um, a girl, a very young girl character in the Warner Brothers stuff, 
that later on in the Animaniacs years mm -hmm. gets her own show. Um, oh, really? I think her name was Elvira or something, and she had a dog. Elmira? It was the same voice. It was, hey, mister, hey, mister. Was and it? it? Was, oh. It was that character. Because char that character, given her own show, was, at least in Animaniacs, I found her really annoying. <laughs> oh, totally annoying. Yeah, yeah. no, we're, it right. wasn't Slappy Squirrel. Not, was, not, yeah, not, not charming, so... Um, and then the next phase of Fibber, McGee, and Molly was uh, an interlude where it was Fibber minus Molly, and that lasted for 18 months. Um, Marion Jordan, who played Molly, um, left the show, and the official reason was fatigue. But the real reason was because she was an alcoholic, and they couldn't record the show with her. She was having a lot of difficulty with lines. I don't know if she was having difficulty with stage fright or other issues, but she left the show for 18 months and it was briefly retitled the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Company. And it's pretty poor. Now, is it, um, this, is it this the point where Fibber McGee starts like bringing in the support characters? There were there were always support characters in there. But I mean, they got more prominent roles. They got more prominent roles because they had to. They had to fill things in. Uh, I think they had. Oh, and I'm, I'm blanking on the actress's name. There's some film actress who came in and and played where there was a scene where Molly would have fit. Yeah. They would rewrite it to be a receptionist or something, so that so that it would work that way. But um, eventually, in 1939, um, Marion Jordan returned. And at that point, the show really took off and became a blockbuster. That was when it really became massively popular. And at that point, Jim and Marion Jordan weren't even credited anymore. After a, maybe another year or two, they were just called Fibber, McGee, and Molly. They were never referred to again as, as Jim and Marion Jordan. And I so think that... At Go this ahead. point, the branding is complete. Yeah, it's they absolutely complete. To the point where when Fibber, McGee, and Molly would appear on another show, like I recently listened to an episode of Lux Radio Theater. It's Fibber, McGee, and Molly. It's Fibber, McGee, and Molly playing these other characters. So here's Jim and Mary and Jordan playing Fibber, McGee, and Molly playing other characters. And so they they really merged with their characters in the public's mind. And in truth, they weren't much... At least Jim Jordan wasn't much like his character at all. He was not an impulsive guy. He was not really a talkative guy. Uh, he was, you know, that was all performance. That was all the character. So um, we have a clip that we're going to play, and this is from the fifth year on the air. And you'll really hear the difference between this and that clip we played earlier. You can hear that they've, they've really got their rapport, their on-air characters are down. And they're kind of breaking the fourth wall a little bit with this clip. So let's play that. Hi, Molly. Hello, dearie. What are you hiding behind your back? Let me see. Oh, nothing much. Just a few flowers. <laughs> Here. Oh, a bouquet of roses. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, they're so lovely. Oh, it wasn't anything that any red blood... McGee, what have you been up to? Well, what you mean, Molly? You know very well what I mean, McGee. Huh? When a man brings his wife flowers for no reason... There's a reason. <laughs> Look, Mrs. McGee, this is an anniversary. 
Just five years ago today, on the 16th of April, we went on the air for Johnson's Way. Oh, heavenly day. Yeah. <laughs> for the purposes of the script, imagine me forgetting that. <laughs> yes, sir, imagine us talking ourselves red in the network every Tuesday night for five years. <laughs> Do you remember that first broadcast in New York, oh, McGee? Oh, boy, was that terrible. So that was a... So what I find really interesting about this, mm -hmm. I love this clip, it... it shows how merged they've become. They sound so naturally like a married couple on stage, mm -hmm. which they are. Yeah. They're not even playing a married couple. They are a married couple on stage. And they're talking about something very important to them. And yes. they're making a pitch. And it's like, yes, we're a show, but we're not a show, but we're a show. <laughs> yeah, and there's a weird... Money. They live in a really weird dimension because a lot of people will say... Uh, Fibber never had a job, which is ridiculous. He was on the radio every Tuesday night. The yeah. fictional character Fibber McGee had a radio show for the Johnson's Wax Company, just the same way that Jim and Marion Jordan had a radio show. And for brief moments in the show, they'll even say, well, as long as it doesn't interfere with the radio show, or, oh, they're right. probably homeless and they're Fibber McGee and Molly. So he right. had a job, and then the moments, most of the time, it's like, Wait a minute! I don't have a job. Right. I'm, a I'm not a character. I'm a character in the show. I'm not doing the show. I it's, need to get a job. Yeah, let me go and invent. It's an infinitely me. receding. That way lies madness. Don't well, don't look it, too deep into that. If you if you fast forward to you know the postmodern era, the Pullman mm -hmm. era, um, mm -hmm. that is very ahead of its time. Yeah, being itself, talking about itself, being itself while being mm -hmm. itself. I don't think there was another show that, well, I mean, there were shows that played a little bit with the fourth wall a bit, um, but it wasn't really until I think it's Gary Shandling's show Burns that, and they, Allen. that they just really knocked that. Burns and Allen, I guess, he gets, but he kind of stood in front of the curtain and narrated a little that's bit. That's true, yeah. And I will say the TV show gets a he didn't. He never really turned to the camera during the show. He, I would Did disagree he? with that. Yeah, I think he... Okay. he he would shoot one of those low eyebrow cigar and hand looks and go, hmm. Yeah, okay. And it would be like, oh, it's you and me. You're talking to me. Okay, I get it. Okay. So, well, anyway, yeah. So they would just knock down the fourth wall because they were characters on a show playing characters on a show. playing. But they uh, did it know. so well. It took mm – -hmm. and it, TV, yeah, Gary Shandling does it. But mm -hmm. if you go to literature and comic books, not into mm -hmm. Deadpool do you get a, a, a comic version Oh, I mean, there's just lots of characters have done that. Groucho used to do it all the time. Groucho looked at the audience all the time. Oh, he, yeah, but he would movies. look at the audience, but like using the fourth wall as a device. Right. Like their fourth. Wall, I guess like the fourth it, wall. What their fourth wall was the whole situation is what yeah, you're I mean, saying. They, they lived. Have, they lived on the other side of the fourth wall all the time. All the time. They had. Yeah. They had the Johnson Wax advertising guy coming to their house once a week when they're yeah. doing their radio show. And, the, and the, the excuse for that was his character, their announcer on the show was also their friend who was a salesman for Johnson's Wax. Yeah. So that was the excuse to get him in there and do that. And and Fibber would always turn to the audience and say, see, folks, this is what we do for letting him into our house. Yep. This is what we get for that. I remember one specific gag that I really liked that Teeny said once. And again, we're going to play a Teeny clip in a little bit. But uh, they were talking about um, Teeny's father. And she, he, oh, what Fibber said, if I had a face like his, I wouldn't show it. 
And Teeny replied, that's funny because he says if he had a show like yours, he couldn't face it. Oh. So, so they just, they didn't care about the fourth wall too much. They yeah. just broke it down all the time. So the next phase, I think, in the show was, uh, it ran from 1939 to 1959, sort of in the prime years and in, through World War II. And um, in the later years, uh, they stopped doing it in front of a live audience because uh, Marion Jordan's alcoholism and her other health problems, I guess, just made it really hard for her to do a half hour long show and to do all the rehearsals for a half hour long show. So as I understand it, it was actually recorded in their home in the 1950s <clears throat> and it was cut down to a 15 minute long show and it would be nightly. And it was no studio audience, so it's a little flatter. They're not playing off an audience, so the jokes don't, they don't land as well. I don't think when you've got an audience, they knew when a joke hit and when the audience liked it. But with no audience, it kind of sounds a little bit flat. The rapport that they get from doing the show straight out and having the people come in and interacting mm -hmm. with the audience. Mm -hmm. Without that, it is a lesser show. It's a lesser show. Yeah. It's, you know, the stories are still there. It's okay. There's some enjoyable stuff in it. Um, and and then this it, time, I'm sorry, at this time also, 53 to 56, kind mm -hmm. of, this is also when you start seeing radio diminish. This is the kind of the other end of the bell curve for radio shows. As I understand it, Jim Jordan did not want to go into television. He wanted to milk that formula on radio as long as he possibly could he because did. he just didn't he just didn't trust it and it was the last few years he managed to stretch this out from like 1953 to 1959 in various different ways um, from 53 to 56 it was a 15 minute show nightly and then from 57 to 59 it was just really short segments for a, another show NBC had a show called Monitor and I don't know if I've ever heard those. And I don't I, know if I, no. I don't know if I need to. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to be pretty minor little segments and it's kind of a, the last death rattle really of the Fibber McGee and Molly show. And then there was a TV show. We mentioned that earlier with different actors playing Fibber McGee and Molly. And that was 1959. And I don't know how many episodes of that there were. There were half a I dozen. Think there was a season of them i think yeah. yeah i think a season was like 13 or something yeah but it is very much like watching i love lucy with rick moranis and <laughs> Catherine o'hara playing ricky and lucy it just oh, it yeah. it just it's not not the real thing <laughs> and again it was at that time where radio shows were either moving to tv mm -hmm. or they were just giving yeah gunsmoke gunsmoke did that very successfully Johnny Dollar did not do it successfully. Johnny Dollar fact, Johnny did not Dollar, do it at all. Yeah. Johnny Dollar also went to the 15-minute format in the same time period. About mm -hmm. Yeah, 15-minute drama. Yeah, they, they went to that shorter format and, yeah, yeah. they never quite and it, it, it it worked for Johnny Dollar. I don't think it worked as well with Fibber and Molly. And with Fibber and Molly, too, they had been doing this since the 30s mm -hmm. and before that as a vaudeville act. Mm -hmm. So we're talking. This is definitely they're they're encroaching in on the retirement years. Yeah, they're yeah. It was, and um, after Marion Jordan died, I think in '59, 
I'd have to look that up, but let's say 59. Um, Jim Jordan more or less retired. Um, he didn't do much. He did I know. Spots. What's that? This is this is how I originally remember seeing him. My yeah. dad would talk about these shows incessantly, and my granddad huh. too. On my uh-huh. dad's side. And one day we were watching TV, and my dad jumped up and he's like, "Oh my God, it's Fred McGee!" And there's this old guy on TV talking about retirement plans. Oh yeah, the AARP. I'm yeah, Jim Jordan, a, yeah. and he even does the closet gag. Yeah, and my dad does... is going crazy, and I'm like, "What's going what? on? Here? Yeah. I'm missing something here." I get he did, it now. Yeah, he did one other gig, and that was um, in the animated movie The Rescuers. He played the, I guess it's an albatross. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he throws in a few Fibber McGee lines in there. He throws in "dad rat," the dad ratted thing. And a, a few little a few little phrases for the for the faithful, but there's that was it. He really retired from show business, and I think was quite happy to do so. Yeah, and one of his contemporaries, um, Mickey Rooney, mm-hmm. did a lot of cartoon work. And really? I would have rather had oh, oh, I would much rather have had yes, Mickey Jim Rooney, Jordan. Mickey Rooney was in the Care Bear movies. Oh Lord, yeah, I would have loved to have Mickey in the Care Bear movies. <laughs> Well, that's, let's, that's how I heard it, Johnny. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, some of the secondary characters because the essential story of almost every episode of Fibber McGee during the prime years of let's say the War Years, Second World War Years, will be Fibber gets a wild hair about doing something. He might want to go down to the music store to get strings for his old mandolin, or he might have to have his shoes resold, or he might want to. Um, clean out the attic or some some crazy project that he wants to do whatever it is he just is wildly enthusiastic about doing this thing and is constantly interrupted by other people coming coming up to the door and ringing the doorbell and he interacts with the other people molly interacts with the other people they fight and they argue and then he goes back to doing what he was trying to do and then gets interrupted again so that's part of the plot line of every story the plot lines are essentially fibber tries to do something he tries and fails with an ironic result is the finale and everything in between is just nutty neighbors coming over which is something i think that was a huge influence on future sitcoms like every sitcom that i watched when i was a kid had a nutty neighbor next door who comes over and rings the doorbell and comes in and bugs them yeah and the big one the, the big one? The the big nutty neighbor show that totally ripped off Fibber McGee and Molly. You, uh-huh. you pointed this out to me. Um, Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. Seinfeld. Definitely. Kramer yeah, is. The, uh, yeah. Pretty much. Kramer is pretty much all of them rolled into one. He's Even pretty much. He voice. Yeah. Does he? <laughs> I've never heard him do a teeny voice. He he does he does some weird voices every once in a while. Yeah. So all of the all those characters who came in were essentially catchphrase characters, which by which I mean they would work their way around to hitting their catchphrase, which the audience just loved. So they would always have like Mayor Latrivia would come over and Fibber McGee and Molly would seize on some little thing he said and misinterpret it. Until he got flustered and angry and went, why I, I never, you, 
Yep. So that kind of catchphrase comedy had always been around, but Fibber McGee and Molly really hammered that into the public consciousness and it became something that was really important in like sitcoms and stuff. You know, there there wouldn't have been a J.J. Walker saying dynamite in the 70s if it hadn't been for some of the characters on Fibber McGee, I think. And then we get the, mm-hmm. he's the audience talking back to the show, which you kind of get in the Rocky Horror Show, where it's all catchphrases. It's all, I'm waiting for this line, and now I'm going to respond to it in a way everyone else responds to it. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So the the big one, the biggest recurring gag, I think, that got a huge audience response was the hall closet. And we don't have a clip of that, but if you start listening to Fibber, McGee, and Molly, you'll start hearing hall closet gags. Pretty much every time Fibber gets excited about something, he'll say, oh, I know where the hammer is. It's in the hall closet. And then he runs over and, and then opens Molly, the closet door and everything falls out on top of him. And immediately and, when he says, I'm going to the hall closet, Molly will say, oh, McGee, don't. One of the things I wanted to talk about was not just the characters who are on mic, but the characters who are off the microphone, the characters that are talked about that you never actually meet. And the, it's a clever way for a scriptwriter to populate a city without having to hire a ton of actors. They did have a lot of characters on the show, but almost all of them would come in and talk about other characters that we never meet or seldom meet. Um, Fibber had his partner in vaudeville, Fred Nittany, and he'll always say, did I ever tell you about Fred Nittany? Him and me had a vaudeville act from Starbrook, Illinois, and then he'll tell some elaborate story. Uh, eventually, he turned up for one episode, but generally he was not heard from. There was um, also um, uh, one of the side characters you're probably going to get to. Mm-hmm. The uh, Oh, God, I forget his name now. The Droopy Dog Guy. Oh, yeah. Wallace uh, Wimple. Yeah. Wimple, yeah. Mr. Wimple. Yeah. That was uh, Bill Thompson who, who did a lot of characters on the show. So uh, he has a wife, Sweetie Pie. Sweetie Face. Yeah, Sweetie Face. And you never Sweetie see Face, her. my big old wife. Yeah. During one episode when there was a sugar shortage for the war, mm-hmm. he, he um, mentioned to her that maybe I shouldn't call you Sweetie Face I'll call you Sour Puss. And he comes to the McGee's house in bandages. Like he's a domestic abuse case. Yeah, he's, yeah, she's an off screen character who is, who just, uh, she wouldn't be acceptable today because it's just pure and simple domestic abuse. Yeah. I suppose it's supposed to be funny because it's happening to a male character who's kind of wimpy. Yep, that is kind of the role reversal thing. Yeah. Yeah, kind of the role reversal is, but. It, it does make me cringe sometimes. He's a funny character, but because the violence is so cartoony, it's hard to take it seriously. Yeah. So uh, some of the other characters who never show up on the mic are Molly has a rich aunt called Aunt Sarah. Um, Fibber McGee and Molly have a someone who rooms with them called Uncle Dennis. It's Molly's uncle. And he's an alcoholic who never, yes, never shows up on mic. He does eventually become a character for maybe four or five episodes, but then he disappears again, and then he's talked of, like, off mic again. Uh, The next-door neighbor, uh, Gildersleeve, has his wife, and we never hear her. Um, The old-timer is another character that Bill Thompson did, has a girlfriend named Bessie. 
and she turns up on Mike, and I think that's a disaster. When yeah, she finally does turn up on Mike, it's not funny. It's that's just, a really good example of the less said, the better. Yeah, the the Fraser and Maris thing, they never showed Maris, and that's wise. If you have a character who's off screen or off the microphone, leave them off the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, the mayor, Mayor Latrivia, and Doc Gamble, the, their physician, compete for the affections of Fifi Tremaine, an actress, and she's never heard. Um, there's a few more, but I'm going to leave those Up, out. Uppy, Uppy is really good. Uppy Mrs. is Uppington. good. Yeah, Uppy Mrs. is an amazing foil character. Yes, Mrs. Uppington talks a lot about her husbands and her butlers and all these sorts of things. But you definitely get a sense of class structure at that yes. point. Where every town yeah. has the rich people, the poor people. They're all talking to each other, which is kind of... That's interesting. That's an interesting point. I don't know how much that really went on in those days. I think they just wanted to have a snobby character in there yeah. that they could make fun of. But one of the interesting things about the the character of Molly softening over the years is she starts off really disliking uh, Abigail Uppington. Oh, and they, then she yeah. she then she becomes kind of a friend. They become fast she, friends. Yeah, they become really close friends, and so that was kind of an interesting thing about about that character so the one other character you definitely need to talk about yes you i have my socks off with this yeah one. yeah okay my favorite off mic character off-screen character off-stage character of all time has to be mert the telephone operator every single episode of fibber mcgee pretty much during the main years of it at some point fibber picks up the telephone and tries to get a call through Never and does. gets Never does. Always like gets always gets his friend Mert, the telephone operator. She does turn up in one episode, and it's just a joke. I mean, Fibber doesn't recognize her, and that's that's the only time she actually appeared on the microphone. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, she talks about her family, and um, Molly overhears it and expresses concern about what Mert has said, and then. Um, Fibber says, no, you misinterpreted what I'm saying. It's not as bad as you thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as bad as you thought something, or it's not as good as you thought. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is. But the, the clip we're going to play now really subverts that. One of the things that, that uh, Don Quinn and later Phil Leslie were really good at was if you had a recurring gag, you would do it the same way week after week and month after month. And then every once in a while, you would tweak it just a little bit. And this is one that they subvert the gag just a little bit at the end. So let's play that little clip of, of Fibber talking to Mert, who talks about yet another off-mic character. Give me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Kramer's Drugstore on the corner of Mert. Is that you? Oh, <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? It is, eh? What say, Mert? Your uncle smashed his face and broke one of his hands. Oh, what's the matter, McGee? Did he drop his watch? Oh, sure. <laughs> Hello, Mert. Nah, she guessed it right off. <laughs> What's say, Mert? Okay, I'll call later. You can hear that, that the joke is clearly supposed to be that Molly misinterprets it, but she just short-circuits the joke and uh, and stops Fibber in his tracks. So I love the Mert character because whenever he picks up the phone, 
He always has the best intentions. Oh, I'm just going to make a quick call. and Yeah, I'm going to call the hardware store and get some nails. I'm getting to the bottom of this right now. I'm going to call City Hall. Oh, hello, Mert. And then boom. Is that you, Mert? Yeah. 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 And the show, once again, is stopped dead in its tracks. (laughs) Or the plot, I guess, such as it is. So, um, and I had another clip. We had been talking a lot because we already talked about a lot of the running gags. I have uh, the character Teeny. And this is one of the running gags. Teeny is uh, the little girl next door. And she comes over and bugs Fibber, usually when he's trying to do something else. Sometimes he likes to see her and tells her a story. Most of the time she's interrupting and bugging him and he wants her to go away. And he has to give her a dime or a quarter to get her to leave. Uh, The character of Teeny is played by uh, Marion Jordan. And so generally... Whenever Molly leaves the room, Fibber says, ah, there goes a good kid. And that's when Teeny shows up. And the there kid are, shows up, yeah. yeah. there are a few episodes where Teeny and Molly interact. It wasn't that, that uh, Marion Jordan couldn't do that kind of thing. It's just that it was kind of a gag for the studio audience to see that it was the same person doing the voice. So this is a clip that tells us how Teeny got her name. Six years old, huh? Mm-hmm. How many years is it you've been dropping in here to visit with us? Nine years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful world we're living in, isn't it, mister? <laughs> ah, it sure is, sis. Wonderful world. And you realize I don't even know your name? I know it. Well, what is it? Ridiculous. No, no. I mean, what is your name? Oh, Teeny. Teeny, huh? Hmm? I says your name is Teeny. I know it. Odd name. <laughs> Why? Oh, I don't know. You don't hear it very often, is all. Named after somebody in the family? No. Huh? Hmm? Well, uh... <laughs> what is it, just a nickname? I guess so. Mm-hmm. When I was a little baby, my daddy called me Martini, and then they just started calling me Teeny, I guess. Oh. <laughs> Why did your daddy call you Martini? Why did your daddy call you Martini when you were a baby? He said I was never dry enough to suit him. So we were going to talk about some of the characters who were maybe problematic. And ongoing. Yeah. uh, Very much ongoing. Like this, the character we're going to talk about next mm -hmm. has longevity. She was on the show for quite a while. And her own show yeah right she she was and then of, a tv show was it a, it was a tv show as it well. was You're a right. tv show at one point and that's when they had well you go ahead and tell this. yeah okay well there's a character named beulah who is the maid of fibber mcgee and molly and i think she just comes in and does day work i think she just comes in and works for them on a day-to-day basis she's not like a live-in maid or anything it's not and like Gildy's maid Gildy has a live-in yeah but um so she's she is 
uh, an African-American character. And every time she steps up to the mic, um, the audience roars with laughter. And the reason is because she was played by a white male actor. And it's a pretty good voice, but that becomes really problematic. <laughs> when you know that, you go, oh, my God, you know, yeah, it's, it's a bit cringeworthy. So the character, she's a strong character. She's certainly no more smart or no more stupid than anybody else in the Fibberverse, you know. But it's it, it is a difficult character to listen to. But she has boyfriend problems. She has, she has boyfriend again. Another off mic character yep. is her boyfriend Ira, and so she's an interesting character to listen to. But it's also problematic. It does make me cringe. That's one until, of the things that I until go, you told yeah. me what the deal was. Yeah, I had no idea. Like I thought it was always an African American female playing because mm -hmm. jack benny you know in rochester mm -hmm. um gildy and um his maid mm -hmm. and there were precedents for it and i just did not think my mm -hmm. little brain did and when you told me and now i looked at clips of the guy uh -huh. yeah all of a sudden and retroactively you, i'm like Whoa. probably if you listen to the show and you know that you will hear why the audience is reacting the way they are because from her first line, she always said, somebody ball for Beulah. And as soon as she says that, the audience like collapses, falls out of their seat laughing. And it's because they kept it a secret. They didn't, they didn't publicize that this actor was doing that character. Yeah. Later, it spun off into its own series. And it got really weird because Marlon Hurt played both the um, employer and the employee. So he was playing Beulah's boss and Beulah so at the, the same time. the subjugator and the subjugator. Oh, yeah. So there's, wow. there's, there's a lot to unpack with that, and I will make zero excuses for it. I don't think that show's very good. And... <laughs> No. Not yeah, not really worth listening to. But the other thing that we should talk about too, now that we're talking about spinoffs, is the other major spinoff, the the really big spinoff was uh the Great Gildersleeve. Which we will cover at some point. We'll cover in another show. I just wanted to touch on it a little yeah. bit, is that um oh, what's the actor's name? It's Harold again, Perry. Harold Perry played Throckmorton Philharmonic Gildersleeve. Well. <laughs> Ooh, McGee. Oh, little chum. Yeah. <laughs> and he um, he's the neighbor that Fibber always fights with childishly. The two of them just fight like little boys arguing with each other. Molly's always breaking them apart and preventing them from beating each other up. Um, and he got his own spinoff show. And once again, he softened and became more domestic. And strangely lost his wife somewhere along the way. Un, unannounced, unexplained. He just moved into the he new... just rec They just retconned her out of existence. She did not exist in the new series at all. He got... He got a uh, nephew and a niece. He got a nephew and a niece. And, he and was, a maid. And he was their... Um, they were his wards. And he got a maid. And he got a girlfriend. He got a lot of girlfriends. Yeah. Because he was kind of a womanizer in that. Sure. And he but. was the water commissioner for his town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he also took with him some of that drop-in neighbor character stuff. Yeah. 
Well, by that time, I think it had become a formula for sitcoms. But um, Great Gildersleeve is more of a 50s-sounding sitcom. Well, we'll talk about that in another episode yeah. because I know uh, I'm not a huge fan of Gildersleeve. I think it's a little, little mundane. You know, sounds like everything else that I've ever heard. Well, we're, is Herbie <clears throat> McGee started with a fresh idea and went through some radical changes. <clears throat> Right. Gildy kind of came up as a fully formed, tried, true, and tested show mm-hmm. and never really deviated from it. The I mean, only it, it, real change was that Harold Peary uh, decided that he well, would uh, try to get more money. Yeah. And um, the network said, no, we've got another guy who can do your voice. And so... <laughs> yeah, he, he he didn't realize that Jim and Marion were for Mickey and Molly. He yeah. was replaceable. They he were. Was, he yeah, was. he was replaceable. And that was weird because uh, what was the Waterman? Was it Willard Waterman who went took on over to play the place? Yeah, yeah. Took, took over, over the role. And then Perry um, went on. He to was actually show. pretty good about doing it because he refused to do the, <laughs> the famous laugh of uh, Gildersleeve because he knew. Uh, Harold Perry and did not want to steal that part of the character. Yeah, that was true. So he did the voice, but he didn't do that that weird, creepy laugh that uh, Harold Perry did so and, well. And again, when he took over, mm-hmm. it became even more solidified situation comedy formula wrote, yeah. follow the lines, and it became yeah. less of a, you know, Vaudeville's doing... Fibber, Fib- and, and it was a slower pace than Fibrigi and Molly. That was one of the things that I think modern listeners will, will enjoy about Fibber, McGee, and Molly, is it has a really snappy pace. It's yeah, just... It's it, it moves along at, at, a, at a really good clip, and in that sense, it reminds me a lot of the Warner Brothers cartoons, where it's just joke, 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 joke. And uh, the pacing is really pretty quick there's there aren't too many slow melancholy uh moments or even like tender moments in other than some Molly. of the musical numbers some of the musical numbers there is one episode and i actually i think it's one of my favorite episodes um it's called skating at dugan's lake and i like it a lot because fibber tries to talk molly into doing a harebrained thing which is go out to the lake and skate and in the end, they do, and nothing goes wrong. It's just Whoa. lovely. Yeah. Okay. And the ironic twist at the end, they had to tack some ironic twist at the end, is, is Doc Gamble, their physician, is waiting for them at the house. And he's waiting to bandage them up and fix them up, and nothing's gone wrong. Yeah. And he says, you two are insufferable, and storms <laughs> out of the house. So that was the only way they could get an ironic end out of that sweet episode. So. But for the most part, Fib McGee and Molly, as we talked about, hits so many ahead of their time moments, mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall, having yeah. recurring characters, having situations recur every show. Mm-hmm. And the then tweaking thing, them and, and subverting expectations. Yeah. yeah. The other big thing, though, is advertising. They advertising. Were so, they were so far ahead of the game. We are now dealing with embedded advertising. And right. we're not just watching a show and then cutting the ads out. For Mickey and Molly, the ads were baked into the show. Right. And so that that's the announcer, Harlow Wilcox, was also an, an obsessive salesman character within the show. 
And no matter what the subject was that Fibber and Molly wanted to talk about, he would always start talking about Johnson's floor wax, Johnson's household wax. In fact, a, and, recent, a recent episode, they basically challenge him to mm -hmm. talk about Johnson wax, about this, about that. I'll come mm -hmm. up with a topic and I bet you can't make it about Johnson wax. And he right. does. Right. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, again, to subvert the gag, Fibber and Molly would say, aren't you going to talk about you know, our sponsor, and he would say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> life is beautiful. I don't need to mention the glow of life, the yeah. shine of living. Yeah. Is that right. natural on your yeah. floor with Johnson right. Wax? Well, particularly during the war years, because very often they would have a, uh, either a patriotic message or there would be some specific war-related thing that um, I guess the War Department worked with the writers to work in specific things. In fact, last night's show from the podcast, uh -huh. um, it's called the podcast, was mm -hmm. about sugar rationing. And yeah. the show was uh, um, <clears throat> McGee tries to make a substitute sugar, mm -hmm. fails horribly, but yet yes. somehow convinces himself he didn't. And during mm -hmm. the show and after the show, they talk about how you need to register for your sugar rations. Mm -hmm. And they tell you how to do it, who to see in your local government. They're, very, very well integrated. There are episodes where they talk about, uh, you know, women enlisting in wax and, you know, they'll they'll base the episode around that and then they'll have a little sincere, well, I would call it an out of character moment, but they never dropped character after a certain point. No, it's Miggy and Molly talking about the war with you and it's important right. to them because it's important to you and we're all on this together. And right. again, yeah. another instance of them becoming the show and you... It's right. like you're part of their world, and it's all. There's a there's a book out there somewhere called How Fibber McGee and Molly Won the War, that I should probably read at some point. But it may be one of those little self published books that I don't need to read. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't really know. Having listened to mm -hmm. enough episodes from the War Years, they mm -hmm. sold a lot of bombs, and they went out and did. I have pictures and reports of them um, doing war bond drives and stuff. So they were mm -hmm. they were well invested in. Oh yeah, in the deal. Yeah. All right. Well, that I don't know. Does that wrap it up? I think it wraps it up. Well, yeah, I think that is that is for McGee and Molly. If you have never heard them before, and this is your first introduction to them, um, you you're in a for a treat for because yeah, I really love the treat. show. Yeah. And again, we've uh, despite the, some problematic elements to it, I think like ninety percent of the show is just great, harmless fun. If you so. stick to the war years, the the forties and and the early yeah, I 50s, would say I would say forty through maybe forty seven is like yeah, the those, prime that's, years. That's the sweet spot. Those that's when they're just knocking them out of the park. They're just really good at that point. There are I don't think there are any real dud episodes in there at all. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we also had we were going to have a feature every week which is where we do a little gem from the Internet Archive. We should mention that we get all the all the shows that we're going to do on the podcast are available on the Internet Archive, archive.org. For free. For free. No charge. Can, no no charge. ads. There's never an ad. There's never a well, charge. Well, apart from the Johnson's Wax ads. But well, yeah. I mean, okay, there are ads. Okay. And this is the beauty <laughs> of the show is they're baked into the show. But Internet Archive itself. Um, is a freely accessible site. You can be in a library. You can be in school. You will get mm -hmm. to that site. Yeah. Um, and my hidden gem from the archive is a weird little show called The Green Valley Line. 
and it is it is a uh, cliffhanger melodrama i guess you'd call it about a short line railroad and it's sort of one of those things where it's the little guys versus the big guy and the main character is a uh, what would you say he is he just comes into town and it turns out that he's the son of the owner of a big railroad line and he yep. wants to run this little railroad line to prove himself he's the plucky hero he's the plucky hero and he uh clashes with his father who uses all sorts of uh devious means to get him to fail at this small railroad but he always triumphs it is absolutely completely corny it has ridiculous acting but the episodes are only 15 minutes long and there's not a whole lot of them there's enough to tell like one story arc and then it kind of disappeared yeah um i think it's about six hours worth of episodes if you maybe. binged it yeah if you did if you binge you could it. binge watch it as binge listen to it as though it were an audiobook if you were so inclined um, I think what, I did binge listen it, but what I did was I would listen for an hour or two, and then I would say, "Okay, I'll binge listen again tomorrow." So, what was the time frame on that? Was that, that you know what? This is a weird thing. I know it's from the '30s because of the sound of it, but uh, nobody really knows anything about the production of the show. It's one of those weird little orphans that ended up like in the Internet Archive without anybody being able to document who the actors are, what the production company was, what years it was. I'm pretty sure it was just uh, transcribed and sent out on discs to stations that wanted to plug it in, you know, as a kiddie show or, you know, an afternoon melodrama thing. So, listeners, that's your homework for this week. You need to research <laughs> the Green Valley Line. If, um... if you can tell me anything about it, I'd be delighted. Now, some of the actors I think I've heard on maybe Lone Ranger – or something like that. So it's probably mutual broadcasting. Mutual probably serial out of Chicago. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it's yeah. It's and this is the same time frame as other fifteen-minute serials like Speed Gibson mm -hmm. and Jerry the Circus. It's just nice that it has a different subject matter. You know, it's it's I in my other life I make buildings for people's model railroads. And it's kind of like listening to the story of a model railroad. <laughs> Jeez, you know, it's be, yeah. kind of like the fiction because people will do these backstories for their for their railroad. But this is like a backstory with actual characters and stuff like that. And so they're they're two dimensional, but, you know, they're tiny and they're made out of plastic. So what do you want? They're fun, to, so. they're fun to listen to. And when you're done, you can wave goodbye and go back to Internet Archive and dive in. <laughs> pick out another good show find yeah. another one if you find something out there that you want to hear us talk about or you want to mention mm -hmm. you can uh definitely get a hold of us we'll put our emails in the show notes uh-huh and uh i wanted you to talk a little bit about the daily podcast you have a new uh, oh, automated yeah. so, podcast so tell me about that for those who for those who haven't listened to the first episode or episode zero i think we were calling it um yeah. I run a series of, it's now 20 podcasts. <laughs> You're the so, hardest working man in podcasting, Tom. Or well, or the laziest, I don't know which, because you just build robots to do all your work. It's the Fibrigy model of, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll just put this here and put that there, and I got a podcast. <laughs> right. Um, basically, every day, I have lists of shows, 
And it, these podcasts will pick out the shows that were broadcast on that day in history. So right. today, if you listened, you would be hearing stuff from May 6th, mm-hmm. regardless of the year. We have Fibber McGee. We have the Great Gildersleeve. We have podcasts pretty much for every topic. The newest one. of the one, things I really liked about listening to the first year I listened to Fibber McGee was using your podcast automated podcast and you get to hear the change of the seasons the stories that happen around christmas time happen around christmas time you hear christmas thanksgiving stories stories happen around thanksgiving and you know uh spring stories happen in the spring and so there's a seasonality that i found really appealing about that so but anyway go ahead i'm sorry oh no it's good that's a a good point and i tend to put all the years in together Mm -hmm. if you wanted to you can say, I'm just going to listen to the 1930s shows, and then next mm-hmm. year, I'm going to listen to the 1940s shows. Mm-hmm. And I've had people ask me to do them one year, one day at a time, and spread them mm-hmm. out over 10, 20 years. I'm uh-huh. not going to live that long, so I'm <laughs> not going to do that. Yeah, okay. you, can, you can figure out the years. So the newest podcast in the list of 20 old-time radio show podcasts. Where can it, they find these podcasts? Before you tell us about yeah. it, where can they find these you can find them at tomwsmf.com. Okay. And there is so a link from that page. So okay. the newest one is, is, um, was started in my head by a, a, a reader and a writer on the old-time radio show forums in archive.org. And he was mentioning listening to my other podcasts, how he loved mm-hmm. this one show. And he, would, he was mentioning educational shows he listened to as a kid. And when he was an adult and how he learned so much from them. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. so there's a need for this. So I can write up a bash script. You've, you've got at least an audience. I have an audience, an audience of one. Yeah, an audience. I have one person who's interested. That's enough for me to go whole hog and mm-hmm. make this thing work. So I went through archive.org. I found shows that are based on educational stuff. So we, uh, you are there. Um, American, oh. Oh, Democracy in America. I remember that up from TV. They would... They would bring in TV episodes into school of You Are There. Yeah, yeah, it's Walter Cronkite and the mm-hmm. You Are There, the burning of Cortez and his missionaries. Mm-hmm. Really it, it, amazingly interesting stuff because they're not delicate with their coverage. No. Um, I have a couple of uh, old travelogue shows like Ports of Call, which is mm-hmm. pre-World War II, and they're going around to the different countries. And oh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to listen to that because I love those, those corny. The cornier the travelogue is, the more I like it. If, if it says night falls and the French Quarter becomes a wonderland of lights, I am just beside there. myself with ports glee. of call yeah. is for you. This, this, this oh, okay. cheesy music, yeah. and but it's interesting. It's 1930s, mid 19 to late 1930s. Mm-hmm. So the shadow of the war is definitely it's just hanging over it. It's so. hanging. Travel's going to go away real soon, so maybe we'll have to tell you about travel on the radio. On the other side of that, there's a show called um, Pacific Stories, mm-hmm. and it's about the Pacific Island countries, all the nations in the Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. after the war and during the war, and what's going to happen with the Pacific nations. Oh, and really okay. interesting. So, and then there's I threw in a couple of things like Information Please, the uh, quiz show that's more educational than not. Yeah, and if that's you sort have of any the, suggestions, that's sort of the QI of the 1930s, 1940s. Yes, there, very much the QI, very much the wait, wait, don't tell me of its day. Yeah, 
So, yeah, so, what, so what is that podcast called? What are you that is called that Information Podcast. Okay. Uh, you can tell I'm running out of names. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is called Information. And I have in my head the whole um, prisoner information <laughs> thing going on. Well, maybe you need to make some little bumpers for the I mean, the yeah. I, I, one of the things I'm thinking of doing is, is hitting you up and helping out making bumpers for some of this stuff. So okay. Right, well, right we'll get to that. Solid. Well, we're going to have more time to... to uh, do this i was uh working a temp job this last week so the preparation for this episode was a little frantic and but we had gonna... a power outage here in colorado that's right we last were going to last week so that didn't happen the the late the early may snowfall right <laughs> yeah yeah that was a little scary i but, sat in uh, my house and listened to radio shows man so we're going to try to do this every two weeks and uh the next episode we're going to do we're going to discuss the man with the action-packed expense account, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hello, Johnny Dollar. And uh, I guess that's the episode. You want to wind it up now, Tom? Or I'll wind it up. Hi, yeah. I'm Dan Howland. Goodbye. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time All right. on All right. our show. Ladies and gentlemen, while we had some fun with the idea of getting games and books and magazines together for the boys in camp, it is a good idea. They really need them, and they'll be glad to get them. They certainly do. So look around your house tonight and get a bundle of games and reading matter together for the boys. Just mail or send it to the recreation and morale officer at the Army camp post or station nearest you. It'll be greatly appreciated. Give them that address again, McGee. The recreation and morale officer of your nearest Army camp post or station. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Polish your car, mister, while you park? No, I don't think you'll have time, son. Oh, sure I will, with this new Johnson's Auto Polish car new. It's two-in-one, you know. Cleans and wax polishes at the same time. And say, I'll bet you won't know your own bus when you see it. I polished four cars already today, all with car new. Gee, you ought to seen them. They're swell. Make you a special deal, boss. If you're not satisfied, you don't owe me no dough. Okay, bud. Give her the works. I've been wanting to try Johnson's car new myself for two months. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>